You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hey. Hey. So today, we wanted to spend some time talking about the cost of housing, whether we're talking about renting or buying a home. I feel like this has come up a lot lately with with clients. I think it's partially just because of inflation, like the cost of renting is going up, the cost of mortgages is going up, everything. So this is probably the biggest line item in your budget. Like if you have big student loan payments, that might be a little bit bigger. But for most people, this is probably going to be the one. It's going to be the one where we have to pencil the housing cost in first and then everything else kind of works around it. So you can be limited a little bit by what housing costs are in your area. Depending where you live, it may be very, very difficult to control what that looks like. But ideally, you can keep the total cost in check so you give yourself more flexibility in other areas of your financial plan. And that means more flexibility to do the things that you want to do, like go on vacation once in a while, more flexibility to try to achieve your long-term goals and save more for retirement, more flexibility in terms of the hours you need to work, and all of that kind of stuff too. So we're going to walk through a few guidelines, a a little bit of background information on on what the environment looks like now, and just kind of dive in. Corey, you want to get us started? Sure. Yeah, and the housing, like with anything relating to finances, you know, somewhat you're bound by what the regional housing costs are in your specific city, town, state, etc., uh, which can vary drastically across the country, but at the same time, it all kind of boils down to priorities and, and where you want to prioritize things, uh, which we've talked about numerous times in, in numerous episodes on this podcast, you know, how important is being able to retire by a certain age or being able to pay for your kids to go to college or paying off your student loans soon versus dragging them out or, you know, having that dream home or, or, or the house that you want versus something that's more of just a roof over your head to, you know, you know, keep your costs down, but, you know, sufficient for your needs. So needs versus wants, I think with housing is big, you know, if you really get to the needs, roof over your head, indoor plumbing, electricity, and, you know, maybe if you're in a, a hotter climate, some air conditioning for the summer. Um, beyond that, you know, the wants, we don't, we don't need the guest bedroom. We want the guest bedroom. We don't need the, the big kitchen. We want it. Um, you know, we don't need the, the covered patio with the outdoor kitchen. We want that. Now don't get me wrong. These are all things that can, can really make, improve your quality of life, make it more enjoyable. Um, you know, if, if all of your kids are able to have their own bedroom plus a bonus room to play in. Um, you know, that can definitely make home, you know, more fun or less bickering amongst the children, if you will. They all have their own spaces and 
you don't have to fight over the TV. You know, they can be upstairs playing their video games while you're watching football downstairs or whatever. Um, but again, you know, priorities, needs versus wants. Uh, how important are your other financial goals in relation to, you know, living in the house you want to be in? So I think using that uh, to frame um, some of these decisions is beneficial. And like Rochelle mentioned, to start, your housing costs are probably the biggest line item, maybe outside of taxes, on your expenses. You know, your, your housing over time is going to be probably your biggest expense uh, that you have, which means the more control you have over that, the less you spend on the biggest item, the more flexibility you're, you're, you'll have elsewhere. You know, it, It's one thing to cut your Starbucks trips out every week, but that's only going to do so much for your bottom line. If you can cut your housing costs down by 10, 15, 20, 30 percent. That's huge. You know, that's potentially tens of thousands of dollars per year, which could go a lot towards funding college or retirement or whatnot. So, um, Rochelle, why don't we dive into some 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 more concrete numbers and examples here? Yeah, it for background, I think the reason this is coming up so much in meetings with clients specifically is because of inflation and just as a few examples that this has a huge impact on overall spending and affordability like very very big so last year depending on what news article you're reading what statistics you're looking at rent was up somewhere between 10 and 15 percent in 2021 so a lot of people are thinking about the cost of houses increasing and that is absolutely true but the cost of rent is going up also. And that, that has a big impact for people who either aren't ready to buy a house yet. Maybe you know they're still moving from place to place during training. It's not a right time. Or maybe it's not affordable to buy. So you know, renting is becoming less affordable as well. So that, that's also something to take into consideration. Housing prices were up about 15% from May of last year to May of 2022. We're recording this early June. Um, and then on top of the, the cost of the housing going up, like the actual purchase price, mortgage rates have increased dramatically in the last couple of months, which means that the payment, it has a huge impact on what your payment actually is each month. Um, so mortgage rates are probably up anywhere between 2 and 4%, just depending on what kind of mortgage you're looking at. But we put together just a couple of examples so you all could listen and just hear how that actually impacts your monthly payment. But let's just assume you buy like a fairly typical house, a $500,000 house. And, and for many of you, it may be a, quite a bit more than that, just based on housing costs right now, based on your income. But as an example, $500,000 mortgage, let's assume you do a 0% physician home loan. There's no down payment. So $500,000 is the mortgage. And then if we include a little bit for insurance and taxes, then at a 2.5% interest rate, like a 30-year fixed 2.5%, which maybe you could have gotten three, four, five months ago, the payment would be a little less than $2,300 per month. So keep that number in your mind, $2,300 per month if we're looking at a 2.5% interest rate. If we take the same exact mortgage, but we run the numbers at a 5% interest rate, instead of being $2,300 per month, it's closer to $3,000 a month. So just that increase of 2.5% interest adds more than $700 per month to your monthly payment, which is big. I mean, if we are looking at a million-dollar home and just doubling all of those numbers, so it's like a $4,600 a month payment versus a $6,000 a month payment, so $1,400 per month difference. So that means that housing right now, if we're purchasing, is less affordable because that is a monthly payment that you have each and every month 
that you own that home or have that mortgage. Um, that $1,400 a month, that's basically like you being able to make both backdoor Roth contributions for two partners or two spouses and putting aside a little bit of college money for, for one kid. Like that's a big chunk of money. And we can't really do anything about interest rates at this point. Obviously, you want to shop around and find the best interest rate you can. This just makes it a lot more important to really be thinking about is the, the amount of house that I'm looking at buying affordable? Or should I be looking at something more modest? Should I be looking at renting right now? Um, and that's one other thing is that in some cities, it is more affordable to rent than it is to buy. And it can be a really good option. I think that people undersell like the the you know, the appeal of renting. It's flexible. It can be less expensive depending on where you live. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot less like hidden costs when you're renting because there's a lot of hidden costs that you don't really think about when you own a home. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the rent versus buy, you know, you, I think a lot of financial people, including ourselves long-term, I'm a big believer in home ownership. You know, I think it can be great for your overall finances, net worth, just happiness, et cetera. Um, but from a pure cost standpoint, owning may not pencil out in some cases. Like if you're in California, um, you know, where, where housing prices are, are arguably the most expensive, or I guess statistically the most expensive in the nation, the the price to buy versus the price to rent is is a drastic difference. I'm looking at, at an article, um, recent article on SmartAsset.com about uh, you know renting versus buying, and they analyze the 50 uh, largest markets in America, and it says the average sale price of homes in the uh, seven seven of the largest cities in California was over $900,000, whereas the average annual rent in those cities was $27,000. So $27,000 a year for rent, that's like the equivalent of maybe a $400,000 mortgage with taxes and insurance and whatnot. So unless you're putting a $500,000 down payment on that house, it's going to be cheaper to rent um, than it is to own. Now, over a 30-year span, will that still hold true when your housing costs are, are staying relatively flat as an owner? Because if you have a fixed-rate mortgage, your mortgage payment is flat. Um, just your taxes will go up over time, but that should be a, you know, a, maybe a, a, about the rate of inflation, so not super drastic. It should be in line with your income. Uh, whereas rent will probably continue to rise over time, but at least you know currently it's looking you know, about half as expensive to rent versus own based on those numbers. So for, for someone, especially uh, first time home buyers, you know, renting may not be that bad of an option uh, at the moment. Mm -hmm. I have lots of clients that are like living that right now. And it's very much like, okay, we could continue to rent in a place where we're comfortable, or we could stretch ourselves really far to buy something that's smaller and less comfortable just for the sake of owning it, you know, and it, it doesn't it doesn't always make sense. And again, just like you said, Corey, sometimes it absolutely pencils out and it makes sense to buy, especially if you're going to be someplace like a really long, long time. Um, but I really encourage everyone that listens to this to, to take a good look at all your options and don't automatically think that one thing is a, a better option over the other, like really look at what all of the options are. And, and try to take all that into consideration. Because when it comes down to it, like if we're talking about housing costs and guidelines and how much should you actually be spending 
on a home, it's kind of hard to stay within the parameters of what some typical guidelines are, especially if we're we're earning like a trainee salary still. So in general, it's usually a good idea to try to keep your total housing costs below 20% of your gross income. It just gives you more room in your budget to do all the other things that you need to do. So, you know, if you're making $65,000 per year or $5,400 per month, that's ideally your housing cost is a little less than $1,100 per month, which is a pretty small amount. So it's, it's not a big chunk of money. In some places, that may be virtually impossible. You might not find, you know, an apartment at all that's close to your work where you can manage the commute and everything like that. Um, at least while you're in training. So that, that can be really difficult, and we understand that. But that kind of brings us to my next point, which is ideally you can kind of buy the least amount of home that will make you happy. Like what is it that you really need to be satisfied with your living arrangement? Because we don't want to have to move every six months or every year because really it's just not an adequate living situation. But we do want to minimize what our expectations are or what we think of as needs because housing is such a big part of your budget. So if you can reduce the cost of that housing, it'll have a large impact on your your overall financial plan. It'll mean you can save more. It'll mean you can do more fun stuff. You can, you know, pencil in more money for college savings if you want to do that and if that's a big priority. Um, just extrapolating out the example of like what does 20% of your gross income look like if we have a couple like let's say we have one person who's making $100,000 and a trainee so we have $165,000 together as a couple that's about $14,000 per month of gross income and ideally you can keep your housing cost below like 2700 2750 per month and when we're talking about housing cost it's it's all in it's your mortgage or your rent it's your utilities, it's maintenance, it's all of that kind of stuff. So even that can be somewhat difficult in some areas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot more costs to owning um, than there are to renting. Renting, you just pay your rent payment. And owning, you got not only your mortgage payment, but yeah, the taxes, insurance, interest, HOA dues, maintenance expenses you gotta fix the place up when it breaks or when you have repairs um you know so there can be a lot more costs in home ownership than renting so yeah if, if you're in uh if renting makes sense for you great if owning makes sense for you great either way great but but we got to factor in all those expenses into the equation and like you mentioned Michelle, ideally we can try and keep our total housing costs below 20 percent of our income not feasible for everyone and it gets back to those priorities and what market you're in um you know like going back to that smart asset study like housing price the average housing price in detroit michigan is seventy five thousand dollars um you know the average rent uh per year is thirteen thousand so a little over a thousand per month so in detroit makes a lot of sense to buy you know your your total housing payment you know, with all that stuff is probably under a thousand a month if you finance it, whereas renting is more. Whereas, you know, go, if you look at the most expensive city in America, San Jose, average price of close to 1.3 million, whereas the average rent is, is just under 30,000. Um, so in that case, probably way more expensive in San Jose to, to buy than it is to rent. Um, you know, we, uh, 
one question we'll often get by people is, you know, hey, Corey, hey, Rochelle, I just, I can't find a house. I really want to own a home. We really want to buy a house. You know, we've been renting forever. We're sick of throwing money away on rent. Parents are pressuring us, whatever. We just want to be homeowners, which I can support. We just, but we can't find a house that meets our, our, our needs or, or, or our wants where or the payment is going to be under 20% of our income. So is it okay if we stretch the budget a little bit? You know, a mortgage lender will approve you for up to 43% of your income, which is insane if you ask me. Um, you know, think of it. If you're, if you're in California, high-tax state, and you're spending 43% of your income on housing, you're probably also about 43% of your income is going to taxes, So, which means you only have 14% of your income left for everything else. So you're going to be eating top ramen, and, and you're not going to have a cell phone because you, you can't afford it. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, you're going to be biking to work and you know making calls from the, the, the line at the hospital if you need to call anyone, and you're using your, your no internet at home, only the, the email at work. Um, so yeah, don't go with whatever the mortgage company will approve you for, because then you'll, you'll be flat broke, um, and life's not going to be happy for you. But uh, you know if we can't keep it under 20%, can we go above that? Short answer is yes, we can, just kind of know what you're getting into. And maybe early in your career, you're starting out, odds are, as if you're in you know, an academic position, you'll get you know, promotions over time. If you're entering private practice, your income should go up, especially if you, you know, have a partnership track and there's additional revenue sharing opportunities. You know, hopefully our income will rise over time, um, you know, especially if we're early on in our career. So maybe that is a permission slip to stretch the budget a little bit, knowing that if you lock in a fixed rate mortgage, your housing payment is going to more or less be fixed for the next 30 years. Sure, your property taxes will go up, cost of insurance might gradually rise over time, but that's a, a, a small fraction of the total payment. The, total, the, the majority of the payment is in your principal and interest on the mortgage um, for most people. And uh, so if that's fixed, if we expect our housing payment to be relatively fixed over time, but our income to rise over time, then you're going to have an increasing level of flexibility as time goes on. So maybe you're, you join a practice, you, your starting salary is 250000 but you expect four to five years from now when you're a partner, your income is going to be 600000 Well, maybe we don't necessarily buy today at the $600,000 budget, but we can maybe stretch beyond that $250,000 budget um, and then grow into that home over time. Um, and then, you know, the other factor with right now when we're recording, mortgage rates are around that 5% mark for a 30-year fixed. Who knows where they're going to go? Trying to predict interest rates is, you know, like predicting the weather six months from now to the T. It's kind of impossible. But, um, you know, could they go up? Could they go down? Uh, yes, either direction. <laughs> um, you know, if we look at we're, we're currently at the highest point we've been in, in about, close to 15 years for mortgage rates, which is kind of nuts when you think about it, because before 2008, we never saw mortgage rates below 6%, to my knowledge. Um, so if you were talking to someone 15 years ago and said you can get a 5% interest rate mortgage, they'd be like, sign me up, 30-year fixed, lock it in. Uh, but if interest rates do come back down, you can always refinance to a lower rate, and then it'll just bring your payment down even further at that point. If rates continue to rise, well, at least you've locked in the fixed rate at this point, and, and you're, you're set moving forward. 
Um, so yeah, you know, priorities as well, you know, where do we prioritize housing versus the retirement and college in that equation? But yeah, there, I can make some arguments for stretching the budget, especially early on, um, if it's going to get you into that home that, that you want to be in long-term. Yeah. Yep. And thinking about it from the opposite perspective too, if you are earning what you expect your higher level of income to be, ideally we can be a good chunk below 20%. We don't want to shoot for 20% of your gross income. That's not a goal. That is more of a, you know, an ideal upward limit. And when you are in attending, when you are earning like your full potential income and you expect it to just kind of increase slowly over time with inflation, but you're not going to make a good chunk more, like that's really when you can put yourself in a good position to make a lot of progress towards your long-term goals, especially if you can keep your, your home payment to an amount that's reasonable. So thinking about those numbers we were looking at earlier, if you're making $350,000 per year, that 20% calculation is more like $6,000 per month for housing. But maybe you don't need $6,000 per month for housing. Like if you can keep it at like three, dollars $4,000 per month for housing, that gives you that extra money to play with in your financial plan. And so that that can give you a lot of power in terms of, of being able to make big strides forward. Um, yeah, and you know, we can fast track things. You can fast track paying off your student loans and building up your retirement savings and all of that kind of stuff if you're able to keep that like well under those limits as well. For sure. Yeah, the, it's a limit, not a goal. If, if you can find a comfortable home in your area, um, you know, for, for much less than you can afford, then yeah, spend less. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't need seven bedrooms if four is sufficient. Um, so some, some definite food for thought, especially if you're in the Midwest where you can get a bit more bang for your buck than on a lot of the coastal cities. Now where this also comes into play, you know, when we're seeing rising housing costs, inflation, interest rates higher than they were six months ago, uh, you know, p- a popular, I guess, thing for, for, for a lot of doctors is owning rental properties. Um, these have implications if you're looking to buy a rental property too. Higher costs, higher interest rate means higher payment. Sure, rents are higher, but it's going to squeeze your margins a bit. So you may not be able to buy a property and rent it out for, for more than it's costing you. And, and last, like the, one of the worst things you can do is own a rental property that costs you money when it's all said and done. Like ideally, the, the rental income more than pays for all of the expenses and a buffer for the maintenance costs that you'll have ongoing so that you still have a profit at the end of the day. If, if like your housing payment is 2500 a month, but you're only getting 1500 a month in rent, that's a very bad investment. Um, don't do that. You want it to be 1500 a month in housing costs and 2500 a month in rent. So if the rental income is higher than the cost, then, then great, we can consider it. If, if it's flipped and the rental income is lower than the cost, don't buy it. Um, or if you're thinking of turning your primary residence into a rental and buying a new place, unless you can rent it out for more than it's costing you, sell the place. 
especially right now, you can sell it for a pretty penny. Um, you know, and it's going to vary by market. Like, you know, I mentioned the, the least expensive city of, of major metropolitan areas in Detroit, Michigan, your housing costs is going to be a lot less than the average rent. So you can buy a house for 75,000, rent it out for a thousand a month and make some money. Whereas in San Jose, that's not the case. You can't buy a $1.3 million home, finance 80% of it, and make a profit renting it for $2,500 a month. That that does not work. So looking for rentals in those major markets in California, it, it's not happening right now. Unless you've owned the property for a long period of time and you have that, you know, if you bought it for $400,000 20 years ago and you still have that original mortgage or you refinanced it to a 3% rate a few a couple of years ago, then yeah, renting it out for 2500 a month could be very profitable. But if you're just dipping your toes into that market now, it's going to be impossible to find a profitable rental property. Now go to some of the flyover states where rent to housing prices are, are higher. You could, you know, it's more likely that you'll find a a uh, a rental that you can you know generate more rental income than it's costing you. But yeah. Uh, definitely I do have some clients in California that are doing that too. Like they, you know, they, they can't afford to buy a primary residence where they currently live, but they really want to own real estate. And so they've bought rental properties in states where housing is dramatically less expensive to rent because it just makes them feel like their financial plan is more complete. Like there's this little real estate piece that is, is now in their financial plan. And that, that can be a great way to approach it too. But obviously when you're buying something that's far away from you, you need property management and that can be fairly costly. So it's just another one of those costs that you have to take into consideration. Yeah. Just going off of this smart asset list, the 10 uh, best cities, if you're renting, Worst cities, if you're trying to um, turn a you know buy a property and turn it into a rental, so San Jose, San Francisco, Long Beach, Seattle, Oakland, Los Angeles, Austin, Portland, San Diego, Bakersfield. Now the cities where housing prices are the lowest and the rent to housing price is greatest, meaning if you're a landlord, it's most attractive. Detroit, Cleveland, Baltimore, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, Memphis, Atlanta, Chicago, Indianapolis. A few surprises there. I'm surprised Chicago is on that list. Miami, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I guess it depends what part of the city you're in. But still, if you're just looking for a rental, I mean, I guess you don't want a place where it's going to turn into a crack house. But, you know, you could find a, a decent um you know, spot and pocket in that city and rent it out for a profit. So anyways. (laughs) Yeah, always lots of things to consider. Um, I don't like the idea of buying sight unseen, though. I've definitely had clients do that. I'm like, maybe go visit it. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Don't if you're living, if you're living in Los Angeles, don't buy a rental in Milwaukee just because you saw it on paper. It pencils out. Maybe like if sure, if you live in Wisconsin, then great. Or if you live in Maryland, looking at a rental, go find a duplex in Baltimore. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, unless you have like a good property management team, um, yeah, you might want to keep it a little closer to where you're located. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We went on a tangent there a little bit, but that's all right. (laughs) I think in summary, 
You know, there's lots of things that we can't control in our lives. Like when we're talking about inflation, it's going to cost more to go to the grocery store. It's going to cost more to fill up your gas tank. Housing in general costs more, but we can control our expectations a little bit, try to keep our housing costs lower as much as we possibly can, and take everything into consideration when we're thinking about that housing cost. Make sure, you know, we're thinking about move-in costs with rentals. We're, we're you know, taking into consideration taxes and insurance and maintenance and upkeep and all of that kind of stuff if we're buying. And then if you're not sure, like, what you can afford, take a good hard look at your actual budget. Like, what are you actually spending? And do some backwards math. Like, try to put in all the money that you want to put towards your goals and your expenses, like retirement, student loans, all that kind of stuff, childcare. And then you know what's left, and that's what you can spend on housing. And I really, really encourage people to to actually look at what they are spending because I feel like our expectations of our spending is generally a lot lower than it actually is. Um, so if you you know download an app or something like that or just look at your expenses over the last six months, there's probably a lot of things that you can explain away and be like, hey, that was a one-time thing, that was a one-time thing. There are always going to be one-time things that come up. And it is a lot more difficult to go back to your budget and try to make dramatic changes in how much you're spending in other areas. Um, it's it's difficult to do that. So instead, you know, try to figure out what you're actually spending and then try to build your housing payment around that if you're thinking about making a big move and make sure you can still fit in what you were doing, you can still fit in all of the goals that you're trying to work toward. Yeah, definitely factor in the one-time thing. I would maybe budget like 5% of your yearly income for those one-time things that pop up, especially if you have mm -hmm. kids. You know, you got to get something fixed. Yeah. We got a medical expense. We got a vet bill. Car repair. Car repair, house repair, um, cell phone breaks, kid flushes it down the toilet. Like, I mean, there's all mm -hmm. sorts of, it's a never-ending list. And, I, and that backwards budget is way more effective than these general rules. Like we're talking about, yeah, you know, 20% of your income, keep your housing costs below 20%. But that's just a general rule. Like if you have three kids, two spouses that are both working, so your childcare costs are, are high if they're young kids, you got student loans, you're, you know, eventually going to be making payments on those once this federal COVID <laughs> forbearance goes away. Um, you know, maybe we transportation, et cetera, maybe you need to keep your housing costs under 10% of your income. You know, I was reading an article, you know, going just not to pick on California, like we've already done enough this episode, but babysitters are charging 30 an hour in California an extra if you want them to change diapers. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's expensive um, in some parts of the the country. And, uh, you know, so if we might need to keep our housing costs lower. So if you do that backwards budget, that's specific to you and your expenses and your goals, you know, and again, factor in how much you want to save for retirement and putting money aside for kids college. Don't just look at your expenses, but also allocating money towards your goals. Treat those financial goals like an expense, you know, just like your electricity bill or your, you know, Netflix bill or your, you know, housing payment. Just put it on auto pay. Your retirement savings should be on auto pay like all your other expenses. And then once you have all those expenses added up, yeah, whatever's left over, that's what you can afford today on housing. And whatever that number is, if it's 1000 a month, 2000 a month, 5000 a month, 8000 a month, you know, now you can go to those online payment calculators and figure out how much mortgage that pencils out to be. 
Mm-hmm. And try to do that before you go to a bank because <laughs> because when you go to the bank and they give you their numbers, you're going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I can afford a lot of house, but like just go prepared with your own numbers so you don't rely on theirs too much. <laughs> yeah, the bank just tells you what the lending institution will qualify you to purchase. It's not what you can afford. It's just what the regulations say they can lend you. Two drastically different things. Absolutely. They only care if they if you can make your mortgage payment. That's all they care about. Like they don't care if you can do anything else. <laughs> and if you want to be able to afford more than the math says you can afford, I guess make more money. You know, we recorded about that topic a couple episodes ago. Um, so we could also try to increasing your income might be easier than cutting your expenses. So something to consider as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks for living or listening, everyone. If you have any specific questions about housing costs or anything else, always feel free to send us an email or, you know, yeah, reach out on social media. Yep. See you later. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.